This is the Talk Editions Podcast. Free improvisation scares people because it's too close to life and death. language that was like community oriented it wasn't just here's the, the genius the composer that bestowed the idea it was like a, a group of players working on something right. together in bars of all places right. and they create this if anything more complex baroque music within time and improvising like actually creating variation in real time this season we asked some of our recent collaborators to bring a guest of their choosing onto the podcast for a conversation Today we'll hear from Brandon Lopez, a bassist, improviser, composer who works at the intersection of jazz, free improvisation, noise, and new music. He's been an artist-in-residence at Roulette and Issue Project Room, performed as a soloist with the New York Philharmonic and in ensembles with Fred Moten, Ak Young Lee, Ingrid Laubrock, Taishan Sori, and Gerald Cleaver, who is his guest for this episode. Talk commissioned and performed Empty Church of Plenty with Brandon in the fall of 2019 at St. Mary's Church in Harlem and on the 2020 New Year Festival. Gerald Cleaver is a drummer, improviser, composer who's worked with Henry Threadgill, Roscoe Mitchell, Muhal Richard Abrams, and William Parker. He's the band leader of Violet Hour, Black Host, and he recently released an album of electronic music titled Signs. Brandon starts the conversation off. So what about, uh, I don't know, what about like a... Do you separate the compositional process from, from improvising? Or are they one and the same for you? Uh, or is it like improvisation a compositional process? Like the, Yeah, most definitely. Like, uh, I think about improvisation as a lot of things. Like, I think about it as raw materials for the construction of structures and architecture. Yeah. being able to just construct something that could stand on its own you know me as a solo drummer if I, if need be that's how concise I want to be what's that <laughs> when are you going to do that when a solo drums, solo drums somewhere down there. I want to hear that shit but I also think about it as a finished product composition is definitely a finite crystallized version of improvisation in a sense I, I definitely hear that I mean I, I don't differentiate between like the I mean if anything I think that improvisation in, in a way is like is, produces a far more complex listening experience than something like composition for sure not that I'm like a believer in God or anything but you know, God is a greater architect uh-huh. you just kind of like let things happen and just deal with the process and deal with the process and all these interesting things just happen by way of just dealing with each other my compositional process has changed a lot. I'm less rooted in conventional instrumentation, yeah. which leads to sort of conventional ideas. With the electronic stuff I'm doing, yeah. I can imagine anything in any range within hearing, human hearing. You know? <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, shit, you got like the entire orchestra instead of like, you know, Ableton. Yeah, so that definitely helps me to sort of realize ideas. Yeah. Uh, I'm less on the piano yeah. with the ideas. 
like things would flow from bass lines for me in my early years. Hell yeah. <laughs> I'm a I'm a closet wannabe bass player. But now like it, it's it's gotten to the point where I I'm hearing other things. So yeah, man. The one thing I don't like is trying to blur the lines. Like, oh, I'm being clever. That kind of thing. Free improvisation scares people because it's too close to life and death. You know? I mean, yeah. People are like just kind of afraid to deal with unknowns. Like, not knowing what the hell is going on. Right. I love that shit. Man. It's almost like when you encounter the other you know whatever that might be it could be a lot of things <laughs> yeah. when you encounter the other the first reaction is to recoil into your shell oh that reminds me I got fired from a gig for doing something <laughs> unusual and it wasn't even that unusual like the guy that fired me he thought I was fucking with him he thought I was messing up his song on purpose and that was far that was the farthest thing from my mind you know but I don't mind getting fired for something like that because it's boring to to, to do what's expected you know it'll get you gigs I remember I auditioned for Mulgrew Miller and the, and the, and the drummer who was leaving to go play with Roy Hargrove said all you need to do is just swing and I didn't get the gig because I didn't just swing <laughs> I just did whatever it was that I did at the time but that always kind of stuck with me because it felt like alright just put on this suit of clothes and you won't be recognized You no, nobody will pick you up you just sit back and let it do it let the, right. let the thing do its thing that didn't rub me too well although I really wanted to play with Mulgrew because I love Mulgrew so but that was a lesson you know like whatever you do just do it super strong you know and believe in it if you find the right people it's easy it's like falling off a log you know I've lost plenty of gigs (laughs) (laughs) too weird Cancel myself on gigs, taking myself off of gigs, you know, like, I'm sorry to say, using music as a weapon to get out of the situation. <laughs> Man, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm into that kind of shit when it's like, it gets aggressive or like shit's like incongruous or something like that and you have to be forced to deal with it. I joke that I'm spearheading the effort to bring violence back into jazz music I really I really want it to be as real as it possibly can be you know but that goes for our times you know what has transpired in the in the last four years and what's happening with half of the country that's truly like life or death because if you get in the right situation you will definitely put your life in your hands Let's say that. Yeah, it's really interesting that the 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 progress of realization of what's what is really out there. Like I thought, oh, New York, we're blue, we're cool, 
you know. But I mean, of course, you go out of New York, and then the, the whole picture changes. But even within New York, I mean, there are all these. Someone was telling me they were seeing MAGA signs in Hell's Kitchen. So if I was on a cliff hanging by my hands, and there was a, a, a white guy who if he had to take some kind of risk to save my life wouldn't do it <laughs> that's how I feel now about half the country I mean what I thought was it was all an illusion like I'm I'm an optimist and I believed in all of the country you know to do the right thing but I don't believe that anymore no not at all man you know I always thought that like you know that shit was just gonna flip red yeah. Well, maybe maybe all of this racial vitriol surprised a lot of white folks that are <laughs> racist too. Yeah, well, I mean, I think a lot of them didn't have to think about it. Mm-hmm. A lot of people didn't have to think about that shit at all. Mm-hmm. You know, especially like even if you were like a like a liberal, if you had Obama as the president, you know, racism's over. It's not the fucking case. Right. There's all these fucked up things still going on. Yeah just embedded in our fucking culture that's why I feel like it's impossible to heal you know politicians get up there talking about now it's it's time for us to heal the nation bullshit (laughs) they're not giving up their beliefs who's gonna change a belief system that you've been in since birth I mean yeah I mean it's possible to turn around, but I don't put much faith in that. Who's actually gonna fucking give up the you know the privilege? Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Said, that shit's even more complicated too. Right. It's like why is like some new music composer gets a job, gets paid real fat, you know, sits back, and then someone like Cecil Taylor, and he's got to live in obscurity and scrape by. Yeah, and scrape it out. I think if anything, I mean that Cecil's like the the figure. For me, at least, in American music, the dude who pushed everything mm-hmm. out into the, the the void changed the way that you listen to music. You know, the way that you think of like the player in music. You know, right? and he was dealing with multimedia at a time when that wasn't like in fashion or anything. I don't think it ever was in fashion. <laughs> <laughs> when he was doing that shit, screaming on stage like half the audience yeah, leave that yeah. shit. Doing this dance, reading that poetry. Yeah, insane you poetry. Know, just like, it's so completely, just, I mean, a genius. Yeah. He brought things into being that were not before, you know, synthesized scales. And, I mean, the way he cho- chose to deal with Western, the Western tradition, you know, <laughs> on, their, on their sacred instrument, the piano. <laughs> He, you know. he fucking pulled it apart. He yeah. pulled it apart, and not only that, he, he did something that was like so incredibly virtuosic and so fucking antisocial at the same time. Yeah, Miroslav was prone to bluster. He's very, <laughs> he's an, he's a narcissist. Nice narcissist, though. Yeah. He he said um, there were three bass players in the pantheon of jazz music: Jimmy Blanton, Scott LaFaro and himself sitting at the again in Italy 
sitting at the table with Nasheed waits. Nasheed stops right in the middle of of eating and puts down his fork and said, Miroslav, what about Charles Mingus? He said, oh, he was sloppy. First of all, Miroslav can never be that soulful. Second of all, Mingus derived his own technique also. It was informed by what he grew up with. Take one more example. Warren Smith, great percussionist. There's footage of him playing like gongs, bass drums, timpani even, with traditional grip, not matched as you're supposed to do. You're supposed to hit a gong matched, not this way. So like the people would look at that and say, oh, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. And he thinks he's playing a snare drum. See those blacks. Yeah. They don't know how to follow rules. Like you completely throw out the baby and the bathwater. Yeah, you know. I mean that shit's so fucking ridiculous. Because how the fuck did anybody figure that out in the first place? Hmm. They just started hitting shit. You know what I mean? Regardless of like the, I mean the technique developed afterwards. But right to right. say that there's like a correct way of doing anything is like kind mm-hmm. of fucking ridiculous. I mean anything like. With music, I think. I mean, yeah, of course, it's a correct way to. Look I mean, there are optimal ways to do things, but that's different than correct. Yeah. You know, like an athlete. I mean, you know, you could be an optimally trained athlete and still suck. I don't know. In music, it's like you hear stuff like. I mean, people who are not optimally trained, you know, in certain ways, but they still make more music than players that have significantly more technique. Yeah, the Sunrise Band. You know, they have like John Gilmore, Marshall, Allen next to a mailman you know who happened to play baritone saxophone did you ever hear Steve's story about Steve Swell uh, Steve Boschkowski he was coming in from Europe right around 9-11 and he had a baritone saxophone that he snuck like he just got on the plane and he was afraid they'd have to check it because it was these like you know those chipboard cases and he's freaking out he sees like you know this dude he's like denying like large luggage denying large luggage like checking all this shit he gets up to the guy and he puts the saxophone he's like oh that's a baritone saxophone he was like what are you into and Steve like names a few people and uh, this guy's like well you know I've been in Sunrun Orchestra for the last like 30 years and it was Danny Thompson <laughs> he was a baggage check dude in, in Philadelphia airport and wow and he let him through with the uh, right on yeah. how was Steve gonna call himself hiding that anyway I don't know <laughs> Steve's, Steve's uh, you know, sometimes on another plane. <laughs> yeah, I'm on this kick now with not wanting to make things okay for white people. Like, oh, are they are they comfortable? You know, am I am I making them uncomfortable? Threat? Am I threatening them by my? very present so I'm by my words I mean yeah I mean that's like something that goes through your head all the goddamn time mm-hmm. it's like how do you you know how do you actually enter a room and like make yourself less of a problem for somebody else you yeah. have to mitigate that shit all the time yeah yeah see that's the real that's institutional racism right there see like people don't believe in institutional racism because it's too amorphous it, it's hard to put your finger on it and it's easy to say well it's not my fault, but I feel like... I mean, you know, if you can read a little bit, you know, it's like now all that shit is, is at least was in the forefront, you know, during this whole mm-hmm. pandemic. And let's hope it 
people continue working on that shit because fuck does it suck to just go into every single fucking room and have to put on your your, your fun voice and talk really nice <laughs> learn how to be not threatening and fucking work twice as hard for bullshit right my whole thing with the whole I've just tried to resist like written music as much as possible hmm. I feel like like the page I mean I admire like a lot of you know written music but the page is like some sort of bureaucratic shit left over from some European shit mm. it's like it divorces you from, from the actual act of music making mm. or at least it, it's it's a it's another layer right there are there are people who work with the page who are fucking you know they could absolutely make music from that shit but like you know just coming from like you know like Puerto Rican culture which is like a mix of European, Native American, and West African. Like, actually, you know, it's like my grandparents were killing chickens in the basement doing fucking Santeria shit. You know what I mean? Matt, see, <laughs> that's the music right there. So there's a story about Ornette Coleman. There was some kind of, like, troupe. You know, not necessarily dance, but like uh, Cirque du Soleil or that kind of situation. So there was one guy who was hung by his nipples he had hooks in his nipples and they hoisted them up you know Ornette said I wonder what that sounds like (laughs) (laughs) with this like high pitched voice in the list yeah I wonder what that sounds like (laughs) (laughs) so man you know the page is an interface it totally is I mean I guess my my problem is with, with it is that our culture still privileges music that comes from mm-hmm. the page as opposed to like you know something that's like transmitted orally mm-hmm. it's like my entire like when I would go home for Christmas if you just play a clave everybody knows what to do mm-hmm. like they can't explain it mm-hmm. but like a bunch of people start just playing polyrhythms you know and they'll like know these songs mm-hmm. it's just like part of Puerto Rican culture to like sing and play like at Christmas time mm-hmm. and they just know this shit it's like loose and weird but it it's, sounds like the thing you know yeah it's it's uh social knowledge yeah common social knowledge and so like jazz music in in the 2020s doesn't have that aspect no to it it's it's completely broken down it's such a shame because it was like it was a fucking black working class art form Mm -hmm. and it's like you know like fucking maybe one of the most amazing things that the united states has ever fucking produced yeah the most (laughs) you know pure art you know that had to do with the human condition so yeah it would happen to be black people (laughs) you know it's black music but more than that it's music that reflects the universal human condition you put people into terrible situations they gotta find a strategy to survive just survive you know like work songs interminable work for hours and out to whatever 12, 30, however long the sun was up, you know that's your day so what came out of that? Work songs you know field hollers and that was because they had to deal with this horrific bondage slash servitude the worst being a fucking battery you know, until you you're done, 
Just to make some some other motherfuckers some money too. Yeah, just to make let somebody else get rich. So you know, like out of that came some, some incredible beauty, and I feel like it's the same now. Only it's gotten completely derailed by the educational system, jazz education. I mean, that's the institution. I think just kills everything. Mm-hmm. It's just so funny that it's like, uh, what exactly were like you know black people like allowed to actually participate in? What what part of culture were they allowed to actually participate in? Entertainment. Mm-hmm. And it turned into something like bebop, this like super fucking complex language that was like community oriented. It wasn't just like oh here's the the genius the composer that bestows like the idea like you know down upon the players. It was like a group of players working on some working on shit right. together right. in bars of all places, right. and they create this shit that's like they're literally making if anything more complex baroque music within time. Right. You know, right. and, and, and improvising, like actually creating variation in real time mm-hmm. in places like fucking bars, unpretentious, mm-hmm. hyper intellectual, and at the same time not, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And then you get someone like like Cecil or Ornette or or Mingus, these people that just just continue to push into the deep end. I've been thinking about this kind of stuff a lot, uh, particularly this week, because we had a Zoom meeting with Warren Smith and he worked with Tony Williams uh, in in the early early 70s in, in an incarnation of Lifetime he was playing drums or? he was playing timpani and percussion marimba all, all sorts of like I told you the gong <laughs> timpani and bass, classical bass drum, orchestral bass drum, all manner of things. And the band was Don Elias, percussion, um, and maybe one more, and then a guitar and bass. Out of this intense social effort to advance in the, in the music, you know, which is completely different than, like, advancing in business, in my opinion. Yeah. You know, like, this intense effort by a large group of people produced like anomalies and I feel like that's why we don't have the kind of innovation today because the impetus is different like we don't have the social aspect and to a certain degree media is controlling artistic output yeah I mean, the way that jazz has been commodified, too. Right. It's, like, basically fucking, like, background music. Yeah. And it's, like, anybody... If you want to make any scratch, it's, like, you have to fucking fit into that. Mm-hmm. Whatever, you know, those, the Newport Jazz Festival wants you to sound like, which sucks. I have a record that's, like, really done it for me in, like, a long time, like, in that, that scene. It just feels really stale. I feel like those players are true to themselves, but they're just in their zone. And that's one thing that bothers me about our current scene. It's less inquisitive than previous generations, than than our grandfather's generation. Like, my dad is 89 years old. He's a bebop guy, completely, through and through. But he was buying, like, Electric Miles and Late Train. You know, and he was checking shit out 
man, you can't pay somebody to listen to an alternative to what you're used to hearing. Like if you ask somebody about Sun Ra, I guarantee you first thing they'll think is nut job. <laughs> Another genius. Yep, absolutely. Not just prolific. Like nearly everything that he puts out is fucking great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was uh, what the doing the hippie shit before the hippies. Commune. Did you ever read that book? <laughs> John's wit. <laughs> Faces. Uh, space is the place. It's a good book. Have you ever heard those doo-wop records? Crazy. Yeah, yeah. Or even his. But he was shit. he was he was an arranger. I heard what was that? There's like the cry of jazz. He's playing like bebop, mm-hmm. and it sounds fucking killing. No man, he he knows what he he knew what he was doing, and he talked a lot about dark. This kind of relates to what we're talking about. The page, you know, like you were saying, I'm playing the dark material. And that raises a lot of questions for me, but what I choose to believe at this present time until I get some more information. No, he's talking about the sensory perceptions. I mean, all the ways that we receive information, stimuli, He's talking about that. He's not talking about cigarette holder. She digs me. You know, like, he's not talking about entertainment. It's some cosmic shit. I, well, no, it's some, it's some Timothy Leary shit. Really. <laughs> that, like, the music is an entity, you know, and it takes many forms. And it has many purposes. And those purposes are a mystery to us. We gave birth to that music, but the music... Really rebirths us. Tell me about it. You know, it's this circular thing, or maybe infinitive thing. That that's why physicists are interested in exactly what we're talking about. Philosophers too. Philosophers. It's like they, you know, it's like music is. I feel like the at least in this culture, it's like the last mystical, spiritual Mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. It's like we sit here and listen to the shit that you know is ultimately meaningless yet we derive so much meaning from it this temporal fucking thing it's like it's actually maybe one of the most abstract arts that you could possibly take in you can't look at it it's not tangible you can't physically grab it and even i mean you can't really even fucking analyze it i mean even stuff like shankarian analysis or even you know jazz analysis it's like it still doesn't get you anywhere you can know all this jazz theory and play the shit out of the jazz piano but like are you gonna you know make music like Jimi hendrix are you gonna make something as as heavy as that is that using any type of like you know jazz theory you know well the 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 nice thing about what we're talking about i mean just music is it's like a drug also (laughs) you know mind expanding drugs make me come to the realization that everything is connected to everything else you know that feeling which is very cool and everything's actually cool even if the world goes down exactly it's still cool yeah exactly man it's like we're all just turning to dust anyway it's like it's amazing that we're on this ride that's (laughs) what music that's what has inspired me since I was a kid I couldn't describe it like that when I was younger or even the drive that made me have to be here and got me through 18 years of touring which is largely a blur but 
but that desire to catch or see what this music is like that's when it is what it is like all these years of playing that's how it comes to me trying to catch just a glimpse of what actually what is actually going on that indescribable thing you can't even like Tony Williams said if I could say it I wouldn't play anymore <laughs> you know I had done two tours and then I often would head to Miroslav Vitos's house in Italy to <laughs> record. So I had two tours and that worth of money. And I get to the... Wait, this is in cash in your wallet? Yeah, cow cash. <laughs> I, get, I get to the, the bus station, the shuttle bus station to take me to the airport. I get to the airport. Immediately I realize I lost my wallet and I see the bus driving off <laughs> and I can't catch it it's impossible so I do as much research as I can to try and find a number to the bus and they said okay well we certainly will contact the driver and blah 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 so one day I received my wallet in the mail with everything in it except for the money <laughs> <laughs> The last, the last tour, I think it's the last European tour I went on, I got in like a f- pretty terrible, almost like a fist fight with people I was with. I couldn't hear myself on stage, so I stopped playing. Like, the, the mix was fucking awful. You know, it just sounded like soup, and it's a really super fucking loud band, so... I just dropped out and stopped playing. And it sounded way better, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and then afterwards, like, I was fucking pissed off, and I went outside... I can't remember the name of the place. Some shitty town, like, north of Copenhagen. And there was this, like, Danish acid head who was trying to just talk to me. She was, like, trying to, like, she's like, can I have a kiss, please? I'm really... I'm like, dude, just get the fuck out of my fucking face. Like, I don't want to talk to anybody right now, you know? (laughs) And I'm, like, pissed off about that, too. And I go upstairs, and these two just ream me out. How dare you stop playing Like we're a trio Like fuck you We book these gigs for you And you don't even fucking play Then the drummer told me He was gonna kick me in the face And I just went Completely went off Got in his fucking face Like Like shut the fuck up Do it Do it You know Mm -hmm. Told me back then Of course Yep Shit I was like feeling Like fucking dark The other week I was like man I just want to fucking Quit music Like go back to school Like get like a real job Get some money You know And then I played the bass And I was like Oh this makes me feel Way better mm. It's gonna make me feel Way better than Any of Yeah Life is complicated But music actually Makes it simpler for me Yeah It's interesting that Like improvised music It doesn't seem like It's been commodified yet I don't so. know why that is. Maybe it's because it it's completely just rubbish to them. Either that or they just can't figure it out. Or maybe both. I think it just takes like it takes like a, a lot of time to get used to like what like to orient yourself in it. Mm-hmm. And if you're not just directly exposed to it, you can't really you really have to focus on it or be present with the music to actually take it in and, and experience it. You know what's interesting, too, speaking of, like, you know, fucking not knowing what the fuck is going on, I got a, a message on Instagram from this kid who's like, hey, I'm doing this live stream, like, we need a bass player, blah, 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 can you do it? 
And I was like, yeah, yeah, sure, whatever. If the money's right, let me know how much it is in my email. Here's my email, whatever. You know, he dropped me a line, and it's like the money was right. I was like, I was like all right, cool, like, we'll show up. And uh, I was heading over there, and I was like, what the fuck am I getting myself in? Who, who is this person? Like, who are these kids? I was checking out his Instagram shit. He's got, like, you know, like 15, 20,000 followers. And I show up, and it's, like, drummer, keyboard player. The keyboard player is, I guess, the leader of the band. And then this, this chick who's running Sam. And uh, we're in, like, an empty apartment in East New York. Mm. And, like, people are just smoking blunts and shit. And I'm like, what the fuck, man? Like, what are you doing here at 11 a.m.? Like, I'm too old for this shit. And we played, and it was, it was fucking great. This drummer, Brandon Donald... Uh-huh. Buzz, they call him. Uh-huh. He's from Compton and originally from Detroit. Oh wow! And he's fucking killing. I bet. Fucking like you know like gospel chops, but he's oh, playing free shit. Uh-huh. Really minimal drum kit, pulling shit out of like a box, like uh-huh. shaking shit around, uh-huh. like. Oh, that's refreshing. Yeah, it was great, you know. And then the the keyboard player is this Puerto Rican kid who's I guess he's from Brooklyn. And, you know, he's playing, you know, through a Farfisa, like, you know, real fucked up shit. And I'm like, what the fuck is this shit, you know? And then we're just kind of, like, hanging out. And I'm like, I got to go, like, a lot of streams at, like, fucking 7 p.m. And I've got, like, four hours. Like, I'm getting the fuck out of here, you know? I get in the car and I'm researching. I'm like, oh, there's a Wikipedia page for these kids? And I'm like, oh, Earl Sweatshirt. I've heard that name before. Solange. I text, like, uh, my friend's kid. Because I know he's a fan of hip-hop. And he named the band uh-huh. that I was working with. He's like, holy shit. What is the band? It's called uh, Standing on the Corner or some shit. Pitchfork Buzz. Wynn Morsalis' kid is in this shit. And these kids are like What's in their playing? 20s. I don't, I don't know. I don't fucking know. Oh, he was beat them. Yeah, you yeah. know. They're way into free jazz, these kids. Yeah. It's hilarious. Well, that, yeah, they know what prime time is and they're into like, you know, Ornette's prime time. That's what's up. They actually exist. I was like getting bleak for a minute. Yep. Yeah. Also, just like looking for like, you know, other fucking people who are not white who are actually into like you know weird music nowadays yeah that's few and far between the whole quote unquote east side thing is I mean they're just getting old I know you know I, I love that thing but 60 years has passed since Ornette and uh, it's, a, it's a huge history there already it's like history is turned in on itself in the 80s it did it in a kind of a constipated bad way <laughs> you know like like regurgitation of or, or like even a false projection of what actually happened only 20 years before they were very capable you could play the hell out of the instruments but i'm not, like this is a blanket statement i don't mean it like every one of them there was some cool people in there who are actually not that much older than me you know so technically I'm in there except I'm a super late bloomer so that kind of worked to my advantage because I was more open to what was happening like for instance uh, bad brains you know I'd be I'm, I was more open to to punk because I mean there are all kinds of strategies there and beautiful structures that I can absorb and apply it to improvisational music but like a dude who might have been like five years older than me or seven years older than me would not be open to that I don't know I I feel like there's like regardless of like age you know there's certain people that are just open to it and certain people that are closed off there's plenty of kids my age who are closed off to this shit and they're still in that mindset Mm -hmm. I suppose they're making whatever kind of music they're as far as they can go like certain people have different capacities man I think that's fucking bullshit I think it's like 
Sorry. <laughs> like, I think it's a cop-out. Some people will push themselves because we, you have to. I play the way that I do because that's the way that I play, <laughs> you know what I mean? And having to reconcile that with this weight of, like, scholastic tradition and being like, I don't necessarily fit into this shit. How do I actually, you know, how do I fit in, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. I feel like uh, anyone could, could push themselves to actually hear what's going on. The same way that you, you have to push yourself to listen to, to Wayne Shorter, like that Miles Quintet. Because that shit was, was out. Yeah, it was pretty out. It's pretty fucking weird, you know? And you, you have to spend time with it, and then you, you start to hear what the hell's going on. It's yeah. the same, same way with, like, you know, stuff that's even, like, you know, like the Roscoe shit, too. You have to get acquainted with the, with the language. The same thing with bebop, at least for me. You know, I grew up with bebop, having a bebop playing jazz drummer dad. When I heard Roscoe, it just made sense, you know. I'll use an old friend, Dwight Adams, great trumpet player. It didn't make sense, or Samurai didn't make sense to him. It was kind of like a joke. (laughs) So maybe you're right. Like, he's a great trumpet player. But I guarantee you, Samurai or uh, Roscoe or any one of those people have not influenced him at all. And that's our living present history. They're not even gone yet. They're right here. I don't know how, how people delineate what's bullshit and what's not bullshit. You know, mm-hmm. I don't understand, especially really like you know accomplished like craft craftsmen like on the instruments. Mm-hmm. It's funny how how someone could be so so attuned to an instrument in a very specific realm of a tradition and not be open to like the other shit, not be able to hear the other shit. Right, it's strange. Yeah, but we carry a set of beliefs with you know we have this belief system that eliminates some information and keeps other information simply to keep that belief system alive. It's like its own organism, you know? So, so you know, like in a crowded room, we don't hear each person, we hear bits and snippets, but in actuality, our body, our ears, our brain could distinguish. That's why, say you get like an autistic person who can can look at pebbles on the ground and tell you exactly how many there are. <laughs> Everybody has that capability. I believe we had a capability to to teleportate, you know, or levitate, you know. If if monks in China can control their body temperature and survive on the Himalaya, slow slow their heart heart rate shit and not freeze to death. That's that's not like oh, from God. That's like it's <laughs> intense mental shit. That's some mental shit. Yeah, I mean, what the what the fuck is possible and not possible? Yeah, let's call it there. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Brandon Lopez and Gerald Cleaver, for visiting the podcast. The music on this episode was from Gerald Cleaver's recent album, Signs, which you can find on Bandcamp. Links to that album and to more information about Brandon and Gerald are in the notes for this episode. This episode was produced by Brandon Lopez in collaboration with Talk Ensemble and edited by Charlotte Mundy. If you liked it, tell your friends about it. 
rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Thanks for listening.